0: The words of our text this morning are words that help us as we face our uncharted tomorrows. They're words that help us face the future with a calm confidence and an irrepressible hope. They're heartening words and they are words that are part of the most familiar song in all of the Bible. More than that, they're a part of the most familiar song in all of literature, of all the poems that have ever been born in the hearts of men and women. This is perhaps the best known, and this is perhaps the most loved. Most folks can quote it from memory. More than any other single passage in the Word of God. There are some who learned this passage at their mother's knee during the tender years of childhood. There are others that came to know these words under the stress of the heavy burdens of life. Yet, when we came to know these words is immaterial. It doesn't matter if we came to know these words in joy or sorrow. It doesn't matter if we found these words in the springtime of youth or in the winter of old age. What matters is that we found these words. We found these words and we took these words into our hearts. Now rest assured. I may not be the sharpest guy in the world, but I'm a long way from stupid. And I'm not depending this morning on the novelty of my text to ensure your rapt attention today. I'm rather counting on your attention for the exact opposite reason. I'm well aware of that old maxim. Familiarity breeds contempt. We've all heard that all of our lives. And I'm also aware of the fact that that's oftentimes the way things work out. If we possibly could live by the sea, by the ocean side so long, we could reach a point that we would no longer wonder at its majesty and its beauty. We could live in the shadow of the mountains until they no longer seemed majestic and beautiful to us. But rest assured of this one thing. Familiarity does not always breed content. Sometimes it leads to a finer appreciation. Often it leads to a more abiding love. And that's the way it is with this ageless song. The fact that we know it so well makes us love it that much more. For some of us, it is intimately associated with unspeakably dear and tender scenes of our lives. And as we listen to it, we can hear again the dear voices in our lives that are hushed today. We can feel once more the touch of loving hands that have turned to dust. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine the story that this psalm could tell if it could write its own biography. Folks, there is no sea it has not crossed, there is no land that it has not visited. There is no road that it has not traveled. It's been read by beggars and kings. It's been read by little children and by silver-haired pilgrims. Young mothers have rejoiced over it. And sin-sick harlots have clung to it as their one and only hope. Sheltered souls have sung it in the peace of God's house. Tempest-tossed souls have sung it while being pounded by persecution. And dying saints have found it a comforting pillow as they slipped off into their final sleep. We can't say with any authority or certainty, who wrote these deathless words. For centuries they've been credited to David, the shepherd king. If David wrote them, as I assume that he did, they were not written in the springtime of life. I don't feel these words were written in the springtime of youth, nor do I think they were written in the vigor of middle age. No. These words are the words of a man who has lived. And as he lived his life, he spent a lot of time thinking. They're the words of a man who has greatly sinned and conscious of having greatly sinned, has been greatly forgiven. He's reached the December of his life, but June is still in his heart. I want you with an eye of faith and some sanctified imagination to visualize David sitting in his palace in the city of Jerusalem. I want you to see him as memory takes him by the hand and leads him into a far off yesterday. His thinning white hair, it suddenly becomes the golden locks of youth. The scepter in his hand becomes a shepherd's crook. And the king's court and his subjects become a flock of sheep. And oh my, what a familiar flock it is to them. He knows them. He knows them, every one by name. He knows their peculiarities. There's one that has a scar. He had to rescue him from the jaws of a lion. And o- over there is another one that has a veritable genius for getting lost. David spent more than one sleepless night in search of that foolish sheep. And looking over the scene, a new warmth comes to his heart. A new tenderness comes to his face. And to himself he murmurs, I too have a shepherd. He muses to himself, there is one who has loved me. And one who has sought me in all of my wanderings. There is one whose gentleness has made me great. And that one is God. And David writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Look at the incredible wealth Of this amazing discovery. David dares to claim God as his very own. Notice how he writes it. He does not say the Lord is a shepherd. That in itself would have been a wonderful discovery. But David couldn't say and he couldn't write the Lord is a shepherd. And have a glowing coal down in his heart when he wrote it. But you cannot say the Lord is my shepherd without getting a handclasp of life. Martin Luther was right. Luther said experiential Christianity is in the personal pronouns. The religion we experience is the religion that's in the personal pronouns. And like everything, It has a totally different look when we speak of it as our very own. When I can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. Imagine, if you will, a group of women and they're clustered around a baby playing in its crib. It's a beautiful baby. It's a healthy, kicking little baby. Trying really hard to find a way to swallow its hand and its foot at the same time. And all the women are interested. They're all clustered around, all talking about isn't that just that baby is so cute. Isn't he just precious? But there's one person there. One who looks at that baby entirely differently from the others. The other women look at it and say, That's a cute. And a precious baby. But this one, with radiant mother loves, looks at that baby and says, oh my goodness, my baby is a cute and precious baby. That's the way it is in the summertime of the soul. You and I, we can have God for our very own. And claiming God as His very own, the psalmist's next word is the most logical word ever uttered. He says, if the Lord is my shepherd, then as night follows the day, I shall not want. Folks, that's nothing more than just pure common sense. He's able to supply all of our needs. And there's no one else that can. Sooner or later... Grim want breaks by all of our other defenses and lays its torturing hands upon us. You ever heard the expression "money talks"? Of course you have. Mine talks; it says "buy," but you've heard that money talks, and that's true within certain narrow limits. but in response to the deep wants and needs of the heart. Money is as speechless as the frozen lips of death. You've also heard that time-worn expression, knowledge is power. But folks, if it is knowledge that is only of the earth, if it's knowledge that's only earthly, then in the presence of the supreme needs of life, it's nothing more than utter and complete weakness. And it leaves more folks in dire straits than the straits the prodigal was in by the swine trough in the far country. Love. Love and friendship those are blessings of unspeakable value but those are not even able to satisfy the deepest hungers of the heart there's only one way to avoid gaunt and ghastly want and that is to be able to say with this poet the Lord is my shepherd If the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want for rest and refreshment. With the Lord is our shepherd, we will find in Him our satisfaction for the hungers and the thirsts of our souls. David writes, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. The sheep lie down because their hunger has been satisfied. They also lie down because thanks to the presence of the shepherd, they feel secure. The same good shepherd meets our needs. I'm the bread of life, he declares. And he further states, he that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. With supreme confidence, he asserts his ability to satisfy the longing soul. And he claims to meet the needs of our weary hearts for rest. And he stands in our presence today, just as he did long centuries ago, He cries after us today in our feverish and fear-filled ways. He says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The years ahead of us may disappoint us in our quest in a thousand different ways. The years behind us may have had disappointment in them. But life will not disappoint us in our quest for rest if the Lord is our shepherd. Because with the Lord as our shepherd, we shall not lack leadership and we shall not lack guidance. He leadeth me beside still waters. Know what that tells me, folks? That tells me that the Lord goes ahead of me into the unknown tomorrow. We've not passed this way before. No one has. But this is our consolation. Our way is not new. And our way is not strange to the One who goes before us. Whatever lies beyond today, we can be sure that God is there. Because God always goes before. And not only does God go before us, God gives us guidance. Oh my, how we need, how you and I need the guidance of God. Our vision is so frail. Our vision is so limited. How often do we stand at the forks of the road of life and we don't know which way to turn. But God guides us. And God helps us. And God shows us the way. With God as our shepherd. With the Lord as our shepherd. We can hope for restoration. The psalmist writes, He restoreth my soul. That word restore has two possible meanings. It means to bring back to health one who is sick. And the Good Shepherd claims to be able to cure emphatically the sin sick soul. It also means to seek that which is lost and to bring it back to the fold. Surely, David is speaking here out of his own experience. David is thinking of that blackest and most tragic crisis of his life. His crime was first adultery and then murder. Not in the heat of passion, but deliberate and cold-blooded. And yet even then, God did not give up on him. God never left off seeking until He found Him. And that gives hope For you and me. After all of our defeats and after all of our failure, we can win. This is the second time we've come together to worship God in the year 2019. This year that's ahead of us, it doesn't have to simply be just another year. It can be a new year because we ourselves are new with a new outlook with new attitudes, with a new vim and vigor and vitality in the service of God. Living in a world that's drab, we can know that God restores our soul and God restores our spirit. And we shall not lack companionship. And we shall not lack comfort when the Lord is our shepherd. He leads us in green pastures and He leads us beside the still waters. But the entire journey does not lie among such idyllic scenes. The road can change. The road often changes from green pastures to deep valleys of horror and gloom. But our shepherd does not leave us in those lonely and desperate hours. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. God not only walks with us in the darkness, God brings us through it. With the Lord as our shepherd, we shall not want for a home at the end of the journey. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When the sun is set and the day is done, the good shepherd does not go home in the evening leaving the sheep to do the best they can through a long night in the wilderness. Absolutely not. Because it's when night comes the greatest danger is there and the sheep need Him the most. So when the Good Shepherd turns His steps toward home He leads the flock after Him and He never rests until every one of them is safe within the sheepfold. Our Good Shepherd has made all the preparations for our eternal home. Remember what Jesus said in John 4? Let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house. or many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you might be also. Blessed thought and happy day. Let's be standing together. The Good Shepherd has made the preparations for your eternal home in heaven. Have you made the preparations to go there and join Him? Or are there changes that you need to make in your life? If there are changes that need to be made, this is your invitation to come and do that while we sing.